Good morning. My name is Pam Komarowski. My name is Gabriela Sage. Today's scripture reading comes from Jude, verses 1 and 21. Hear, Hear the, the word, word of, of the Lord. Lord. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Hello, you all. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful to see you all. Yeah, I missed you as well, too. Yeah, well, I'll say more about that later on in the service. But um, today, I, I, I brought three things that I kept from my grandpa Tenhagen. About 11 months ago, almost to the day, I got to do my, the funeral of my Grandpa Tenhaken. It was a tremendous blessing to be asked by the family to do his funeral. And I got to keep three things of his. The first one is this sweet Duluth flannel that I'm wearing today. So, so every time, it's very comfortable. It's, well, it's already pilling because, you know, it's been washed so much. So it's, it's really comfy. And, um, and I wore it, um, some of my, my family was out for uh, Christmas time. And um, on the Tenhaken side, and they had gotten this huge house Airbnb thing that they rented, and so they had us all over to that big house because um, my grandma downsized since my grandpa passed away, and um, and I wore this shirt, and my grandma was like, "You're wearing Rich's shirt," you know. So I scored a lot of brownie points with her just by wearing this shirt. Uh, second thing I got to keep was Grandpa's Bible, and this is special to me because I maybe I told you this, but my grandpa. I uh, was the first person that I've ever seen pass from life to life. I was in the room with my mom and my grandma when he passed to his eternal home. And so I went from his room after he went home, and I went to their kitchen table, and I opened up his Bible. And I started paging through, and he, he, he is kind of an eschatology guy, which you've got to be careful with. But he, uh, he had a bunch of stuff underlined and highlighted in Revelation, and I'm looking at the stuff that he had underlined and highlighted in Revelation, and I'm like, I'm thinking, like, he drew these lines thinking, you know, one day I'll experience all that, and now, like, I'm reading, you know, he's experiencing this stuff that he underlined. It was just, like, became so real in that moment that I'm like, the one who underlined this is getting to do this right now. So that was very special to me that my grandma wanted me to, to keep his, his Bible. And then the third thing is just so cool, and some of you have seen this before, but um, this is a pocket square <laughs> that my grandma made for my grandpa uh, when one of my cousins was getting married. He needed a pocket square, and my grandma's kind of one of these repurposing types. And so she took a Norwex cloth and sewed it to like, she must have cut a piece out of a box of something, and then she sewed this Norwex cloth to this box piece. And, and I said to her, I'm like, Grandma, you know, of all the cloths, like, why did you ruin a perfectly good Norwex cloth? Like, of all, you know? And she's like, well, it was the right color, <laughs> which is totally my grandma. So I've, I've actually worn this with my suit sometimes. So if you want to see that, you know, you can see it's just so cool. Um, yeah, here, I'll pass that around. Here you go, Peggy. Yeah, you can look at that. So, so I got to keep three things from my, from my grandpa, Rich Tenhagen. And, um, and I tell you about these three things that I kept because we're starting a new series today, a three-week series called Kept on the Book of Jude. And as we look into the book of Jude, uh, you're going to see why we call this series Kept. Um, and today we're going to look at the overview of the book and what Jude's 
saying. Look at Jude 1a. Now, the neat thing about Jude is there's only one chapter. So you can say, go to Jude 1, and you know automatically you mean Jude verse 1, because there's only one chapter. So go to Jude 1, and let's look at the first part of the first verse of Jude. He says, this letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was the full brother of James, who also wrote the epistle by the name of James. So we have Jude, and we have James. And, and we know the brothers of Jesus because they're listed in Mark 6, verse 3, where the crowd is getting agitated by Jesus, and he's in his hometown of Nazareth. And here we get all the brothers of Jesus. Look at Mark 6, 3. Then the crowd scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And this Judas that's listed here in Mark 6, 3 is the half-brother of Jesus. This Judas is the Jude who wrote the epistle that we're studying today. Now look at the second half of, of the first verse of Jude. Jude says, I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. There's this keeping aspect again. He says, I'm writing to all those true believers whom God keeps in Christ's love, whom God keeps safe in God's family. Now the question for us in this first verse is, who is doing the keeping? Yes, Peggy's right. God is doing the keeping. He says, I'm writing to all those whom God keeps in God's family, whom God keeps in the love of Christ. And so God is doing the keeping in verse 1. God is the one who is constituting his family. God is the one who is preserving his believers. God is the one who is keeping his people. God is the one who has called his people, saved his people, redeemed his people. God is the one who is doing the keeping in verse 1. But now look at 21. And 21 is toward the end of the book. 21 is toward the end of the chapter. And now look what it says. Jude says, in this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. So here's this keeping theme again. But the question for us now is, who's doing the keeping in verse 21? You, us, this family of God, these people of God, you will keep yourselves in God's love. You will keep yourselves in Christ. You will keep yourselves in the family of God. So, what's going on here? In verse 1, it's God will keep you. And then at the end of the book, in verse 21, it's you will keep yourselves. Who's doing the keeping? And the answer is both. One of you said both. Here's what Jude is trying to tell us in his book. Here's what Jude is trying to tell us in his work. Those whom God keeps in Christ are those who keep themselves in Christ. Let me say that again. Those whom God keeps in Christ are those who keep themselves in Christ. Yes, God is sovereign. That's verse 1. God keeps you. God is sovereign. It all rests and falls on God's shoulders. But verse 21 says that even though it's all on God, there is a human responsibility element in this. It's God is sovereign, and humans have a responsibility. Those whom God keeps in Christ are those who keep themselves in Christ. It's God's sovereignty, and it's human responsibility to be part of God's family. Now, if this doesn't make sense yet, let me give you some of the context. So here's what's going on in Jude. There were people within the church, these are church members now, who were spreading false teachings about the gospel. 
They were taking the word of God, taking the story of Jesus, and they were twisting it and adjusting it so that it wasn't the true word of God anymore. And we'll talk more about this next week, but in short, their message was, you're free in Christ to do whatever you want. Now that you're free, you can do whatever you feel like. And we'll talk more about that next week. But this problem of the false teachers or the corrupt teachers in the church became so urgent that Jude pulls an audible with his letter. He says, I wanted to write to you about this, but instead I'm going to write to you about this corrupt teacher's problem. Look what he says in Jude 3. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. Pretty big topic. Pretty important topic. Salvation. Yeah, that's important. But then, look what he says. But now... I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. He says, I wanted to write to you about salvation, but this other problem has become more urgent. So now I'm going to write to you about these false teachers, these corrupt teachers that are running around spreading lies. And so Jude is interested in keeping. Why is Jude so interested in keeping? Well, because he has these two groups in the church. They all say they believe in Jesus. They all call themselves Christians, but one group is a group of false teachers who are spreading lies, twisting the gospel, spreading divisions. And then the other group is true believers. And so Jude cares a lot about who are the true believers in our midst? Who are the people that are truly following Jesus and truly adhering to the gospel of Jesus? And so that's why Jude talks about keeping, because he's saying, hey, here's how to keep yourselves in the genuine Christian category, and so you don't fall prey to these corrupt teachers. Here's how you keep yourselves in God's family. Keep yourselves in true belief. Keep yourselves in step with the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the family of God, and you don't fall victim to these corrupt teachers. And so, yes, God keeps you. Ultimately, God decides who his family will be. Ultimately, God saves us through his son, Jesus. Ultimately, God is the one who knows who will come to faith and who will not come to faith. Ultimately, God knows each and every one of his people. But at the same time, his people have a responsibility that flows out of God calling us into his family. So God keeps those in Christ And those are the people who keep themselves in Christ. Those whom God keeps in Christ are are those who keep themselves in Christ. Let me just give an analogy here. So the NFL teams have a general manager. And for the Packers case, it's a man by the name of Brian Gutekunst. And the general manager has the final say over the roster. The general manager has the final say over who the team will be. He's got the final say over who's going to be on the team and who's not going to make the team. But even though the general manager has the final say over who will be on the team and who will not be on the team, there is a responsibility on behalf of the players to do the types of things that players who make rosters do, right? You don't just say, oh, I made the team. Woohoo! All right, that's done. No, no. There are responsibilities on the behalf of the players to do the types of things that players who make teams do. So it's both. Those whom God keeps in Christ are those who keep themselves in Christ. God is sovereign over his family. God is sovereign over his group of true believers. But there is a response that is required of human believers. There is a human responsibility element on behalf of believers in all this. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, whoa. Are you saying that there's something we need to do to be saved? Are you saying that there's something we need to do to be part of God's family? Is this a gospel of works? 
And the answer is no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Right? There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation. Isn't it interesting, though, that this gospel of works thing comes up in Jude, and it also comes up in James? Like, are they saying we got to do something to be saved, and Jude and James were brothers? It's kind of funny, isn't it? That they talk similarly. It's like, are you saying i got to do something to be saved? No. No. That is not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that there is a responsibility on behalf of true believers to do the types of things that a believer would do. Right? God saves you, so now you should live as you are saved. Right? To go back to our NFL roster, yeah, the general manager sets the team. The general manager sets the roster. But then players are expected to play like they deserve a roster spot. Players are expected to play like someone who made the team. They're expected to come up in big moments. They're expected to make plays when the team needs a play. They're expected to be available to play. They're expected to go into the game if the person ahead of them on the depth chart goes out or gets injured. They're expected to put the team before themselves. Right? They're expected to come up big. They're expected to play. Those whom God keeps in Christ are those who keep themselves in Christ. God is sovereign over his people, but yes, there is a human responsibility element as part of God's people. We should live like God's people. That's what Jude is saying. We should live like God's people. We should live like we are in Christ. If we're in Christ, we should live like we're in Christ. So what's that responsibility element? What does it look like then to live like we're in Christ? Jude tells us, look at 21. He says, in this way... You will keep yourselves in God's love. So how do we keep ourselves? Well, in this way. Well, in what way? In what way do we keep ourselves in Christ? In what way do we live like people who are in Christ? In what way do we live like genuine believers? Well, he tells us. Just look at the context. Look at Jude 20 to 21. Jude says, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. In what way? Three things. In what way do we keep ourselves in Christ? In what way do we live into our responsibility as true believers? Number one, build each other up in your most holy faith. Number two, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lays it all out for you. Let's take those in turn. Number one, build each other up in your most holy faith. I have a friend who is dealing with a remarkably Jude-like situation in his church. You know, some divisions and some falsities, and it's like you kind of wonder, like, does this person really even believe? You know, like they've been in the church a long time, and man, their behavior does not look like the behavior of a believer. And I told him, I said, hey, I've been reading Jude and I think you'd really be blessed in reading Jude. Isn't it amazing how the book you're studying becomes the favorite, your favorite book of the Bible? Like, that happens to me. It's like, he asked me what my favorite book of the Bible is. Well, Hebrews still is, ranks up there for me. But, uh, but, you know, it's like, whatever book I'm studying, that's my favorite book. And I'm loving Jude right now, man. I'm loving it. And I told him, I said, hey, read Jude. I think you'd be blessed by it. So later in the day, he texts me. He says, hey, in verse 20, when, they, when Jude says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith or build each other up in your most holy faith. He says, is most holy faith subjective or is it objective? And I read that text and I just like rolled my eyes. I'm like, ugh, like this is so your brain. Like his brain works that way. Like is that subjective or objective? Because he's super analytical about things and I'm just like, bleh. 
Like, my brain doesn't work that way. Just read it and apply it, you know, and it's, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> you know, I don't want to ask those questions is my first inclination. But, but I'm like, okay, he's my friend, and he is reading it. Like, he's taking me up on my word, so I should, like, respond to him and affirm that he actually took my advice to, like, read the, the, the book. So I said to him, I said, well, you know, to do my best to answer your type of question, you know, like, I think it's both. I think holy faith is both subjective and objective. Being built up in the holy faith is subjective in that we each experience sanctification. We each experience God doing his transforming work in us, making and molding us into the person he wants us to be. It's a subjective experience where we undergo the Lord conforming us to the image of Jesus. And so my question for us is, did you know that you are, as a believer in Jesus, undergoing a process of becoming more like Jesus? Did you know that part of the Christian walk is actually being transformed and becoming somebody who looks like Jesus? Becoming somebody who God wants you to be? And sometimes I need to check myself on that. Sometimes I need to be like, am I becoming? You know, am, I, am I becoming the person God wants me to be or am I just kind of stuck in my ways? Am I just a tourist in this life? Or am I actually opening myself up to the work God wants to do in me? Are these circumstances in my life just kind of happenstance because we live in a sinful world? Or am I actually asking God to use the circumstances in my life to shape and mold me into the person he wants me to be? Am I actually more like him today than I was last week? That's the question for you this morning too is, are you more like Jesus today than you were last week? Are you becoming like Jesus? Are you letting God work on you and mold and fashion you into the person he wants you to be? Very easy to forget that, that this is a process that will not be complete in this life. It will only be complete in the next life, but that we actually are becoming the people God wants us to be. Right? So it's subjective in that we're becoming the people God wants us to be, but it's also objective. Remember the context. You got all these false teachers around, spreading lies in the church. And so therefore, it becomes our duty to stick to the holy faith, the set-apart faith. That's what holy means, set-apart. We need to stick to the set-apart faith, the true faith, not these lies. We need to stick to the true faith in Jesus. Now, I think we face similar issues today because there's just a lot of content out there. You know, I mean, like, we have more access to sermons and biblical teaching and, and, and church worship services than ever before, and there's so many good things about that. But at the same time, there's a lot of knowledge to be consumed. And so we got to constantly be filtering, okay, what's the true faith and what's no longer the true faith? Culture has made inroads into the church where now I'm concerned that I hear sometimes rhetoric that sounds very cultural and not biblical out of preachers' mouths. And it's like, we, no, we can't, uh, that's not the true faith now. Now you're off somewhere where, eh, I can't go. We got to be, stick to the true faith, right? The objective faith. And you know what the true faith is? Jesus is king. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the details of our faith that sometimes it's like, you just got to remind yourself, Jesus is king, and that's, it, full stop. That's it right there. That's the true faith. What's the true faith? Jesus is king and Lord of lords. What's the true faith? Jesus is the one who walked out of the grave. What's the true faith? Jesus went to the cross, he rose, and he ascended, and he's coming back someday. That's the true faith. 
You know, I mean, like, be encouraged by Romans 10, 13. This is how simple it is. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the true faith. Call upon the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. Anyone who calls on his name will be saved. You know, I'd love, I, I just was reminded of, I read this recently, the story of Jesus with the woman at the well. And the dance of the conversation is just brilliant. I mean, how Jesus convicts this woman but yet opens himself up at the same time, it's just, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. But that aside, the details of the conversation aside, right? Like, the woman at the well, she's the wrong type of person. She's Samaritan, so she has the wrong nationality. She has had a sordid sexual history, so she's got a mountain full of sin in her past. And she comes from the wrong side of the tracks. But Jesus tells her, hey, you want water where you'll never be thirsty again? You want everlasting life? Drink from me. And she's like, I found him. I found the one who my heart longs for. And she runs into the town. She says, I found him. I found the guy. All my hopes and dreams in this man. I found him. That's the true faith, you all. All our hopes and dreams in Jesus. No matter your past, no matter how much sin you have, no matter how many mistakes you made, no matter your ethnicity, no matter you're smart, no matter you're dumb, no matter how much you make, Jesus is who you long for. That's the true faith. And then I read the centurion story. Oh, I love this story. And again, you have someone who comes, at least from the Jew perspective, from the wrong side of the tracks. Because this centurion is a cog in this evil, oppressive empire. This this centurion is part of the problem of why we're all oppressed. Why the Messiah hasn't come yet. And this centurion, who's got the wrong history, the wrong ethnicity, the wrong... Uh, label comes to Jesus and says, hey, heal my servant, please. He says, and I know you can because I'm in charge of a lot of troops and I say, go do this and the troops go do this, but you're king of the universe. So you say heal and that person will get healed. So say the word, say the word. Jesus says, your servant is healed. All because this centurion recognized he's the one. This is the one. Jesus is the one. He's the anointed one. He's the one who we long for. He's the king of the world. He has all authority. He has all power. This is the true faith, you all, that it's Jesus. That's why we're here. Jesus is the true faith. It's him who rose from the grave. And so how do we live into our responsibility to keep ourselves in Christ's love? Remind us we need to be built up and building each other up in the true faith. And the true faith is Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. So how do we keep ourselves in Christ's love? Well, number one, build each other up in your most holy faith. And number two, Jude says, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says it right out in Jude 20b. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm learning stuff about prayer. When are we not learning stuff about prayer, right? And uh, here's what I've been developing in my mind. I think prayer... When we say prayer, I think that's often focused on what we want to say to God. So our talking to the Lord, that's prayer. And that's good. 
And that's often how we learn how to pray. That's how we begin to pray. Our kids need to hear us talking to the Lord because they catch then how to pray, how to talk to the Lord for themselves. Prayer is one of those things that's more caught than taught. And so we need to be praying, saying what we want to say to the Lord. So that's prayer. But I think praying in the power of the Holy Spirit is less about us talking to the Lord and more about the Lord talking to us and talking through us. I'm reading this book right now, and it's taking me forever because I'm just lingering in it. It's just wonderful. And the author is a woman by the name of Ruth Haley Barton who graduated from Northern Seminary, which I also graduated from. Uh, And she talks about her prayer life. And she's, Ruth, the author, has actually done away with lists. She doesn't do prayer lists anymore. Now, I'm not saying don't do lists. Lists are great, all right? And they're really good for making sure we cover the bases and helping us pray corporately and and making sure you kind of hold yourself to a time of prayer. Lists are great. But she has done away with lists, and instead what she does is she comes to the Lord and says, okay, God, who do you want me to pray for, and what do you want to say about them? And so she'll sit in the Lord's presence and wait for the Lord to bring people to her mind. And as the Lord brings people to her mind, she says, okay, Lord, what do you want to say about this person? What, do you, what does this person have going in their life that you know that I need to say about that? You're saying it. What I like about this is it kind of lets God drive the agenda instead of you driving the agenda, and it kind of puts God in the driver's seat rather than you in the driver's seat. And the nice thing about it is it actually puts the onus on God, not on you. It puts the onus on God. You're like, all right, Lord, here I am. You tell me who who I should be praying for right now. And then you tell me what to say about those this person. And and I'll tell you, I um we received that um, through Colin's surgery. I mean, so many of you sent us prayers uh, that were in the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of them particularly was a woman um, by the name of Sue Menting. She's my mom's friend. And sometime I'll go into details more about this. But Sue sent us this text. It was super long. And it was like she was transcribing the words of the Holy Spirit. It was unbelievable. I mean, even in the text, she would like, she made a transition and she used the words, Okay, I'm getting details about the surgery now. You know, like, like she's a, like a court telescriber, hearing the Holy Spirit and then like typing it out. And then the things that she mentioned about the surgery were just like so detailed that it was like a human does not think about these things, but the Holy Spirit thinks about these things. And he just communicated it to her. And she said, I, I called her up and I said, Sue, your prayer is just amazing. Like, tell me about it. Tell me about this. Because she's kind of going on her own prayer journey right now. And she just said, yeah, I, I listen and I type. And there's sometimes where I wrote something and I'm like, nope, that's me. That's not the Holy Spirit. So I'll back up. And I'll be like, all right, Holy Spirit, what do you, what's the sentence you want? And then he'll give it to me and I'll go. And I'm like, this is incredible. This is praying in the power of the Holy Spirit that it's like, God, what do you want to say about this person? You know, now that's, that's varsity level, and some of you are like, whoa, that's way farther than I... So, so let me, let me see here's something we can do, all right? Here's, here's something we can do. Like, I just noticed this. I noticed this today, actually. Right? Like, asking the Lord to help us remember people in prayer. That when someone comes into our mind, that's actually an opportunity to remember that person in prayer and pray for them. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing, but this is, <laughs> this is kind of funny. Okay, so... 
So sometimes on my way to church, and by sometimes I mean almost all the time, um, I stop for a little drink, get myself going in the morning, right? So there is a semi that's parked across the street from the place where I, I get a drink. Um, and on this semi is like a picture of an employee. And that employee kind of looks like someone from this congregation. All right, I won't say who it is, but that employee looks kind of like someone from this congregation. And so it occurred to me that every time I look at that person, I think of this person from our congregation. It's like, that's an opportunity to remember this person in prayer. Right? And you could say, okay, God, you reminded me of this person. What do you want to say about this person? And it could be as simple as, Lord, care for this person. Be with this person. Help this person. Right? But that's praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. I could, I could say more about that, but we've got to move on. So, all right, how do we live into our responsibility at keeping ourselves in Christ's body? Number one, build each other up in your most holy faith. Number two, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says in Jude 2, may God give you more and more mercy. It's more and more mercy. Because I think the frontiers of our understanding and experience are constantly supposed to be pushed outward. And here's what I mean by that. The more that I learn things in life, the more I realize there's a lot I got to learn. It's the more knowledge I gain, the more knowledge I know I don't have. Right? It's counterintuitive. It's not that as you learn more, your world gets smaller. It's as you learn more, your world gets bigger. It's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff I don't know out there. So the more you learn, the less you feel you know <laughs> in many ways, right? And I think the same goes for Christ's mercy. Like, we need to be realizing to greater and greater degrees just how much mercy he's poured out on us. And I think there's two aspects to that. I think, on the one hand, we realize to greater and to greater degrees how sinful we are and how we are not the people that God wants us to be and how desperately corrupted every part of us is and how we fall short of what God wants for us, how terribly we fall short of, of what God wants for us. And then as we plumb the depths of our sin, we realize, but Jesus in his mercy saved us from all of that. And when you realize what Jesus has saved you from, it makes you praise him all the more. That the deeper you plumb the depths of your sin, the greater heights you soar to, where you praise him for saving you from the pit. The Bible says he redeemed our lives from the pit. And it's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for what you saved me from. Thank you for the death that you saved me from. Thank you for the promises that someday I'm not going to be this fallen person anymore, but I'm going to be the person you created me to be. Without flaw, holy and righteous, standing in the presence of you, Jesus Christ. There's a sign in our bathroom, and it's Lamentations 3.23. His mercies are new every morning. Why are his mercies new every morning? Because every day is a new opportunity to realize to a greater degree the depths of your sin and the heights of his love to save you from it. Right? To realize how much mercy our God just dumps and dumps and dumps over us in his son, Jesus. 